tonight's episode we have Alan A. Springfield on the show. Alan's a UFO researcher, author, cultist and prolific writer and social mediaist. So we'd just like to get right in it now and we'll invite Alan into the show. he thought that the earth was honeycombed with caverns Mm -hmm. and i think what these caverns are is a convenient location for the fey the others Mm -hmm. the others we'll just say yeah the others uh, to have semi-permanent portals and they come in and out of those portals and of course someone who goes through a portal that doesn't understand the notion of portals Someone like me, who's a ceremonial magician, among other things, anyone who has opened an Enochian portal knows what portals are like. They go to other ethers, heirs, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the terminology shifts according to your, your own personal mythos, but, yeah. uh, but it's going to, I like the term Magonia. It's just mm-hmm. because it doesn't, mean anything specific but it means fairyland uh the place where time runs different and things are not as they seem here and it's interesting that where the cave systems are or like in that area in kentucky as well it falls right within there's a massive area as you know with the kentucky anomaly where it's like the magnetic field is is a uh, really really strong is it really strong? It's really strong, there. so it's like a magnetic, a magnetic anomaly. Anyway, there, massive. Well, Hellier, the town, not the TV series. Yeah, yeah. Um, was named for the gentleman who founded the town. It's not a totally uncommon name. Mm-hmm. Um, it's spelled sometimes a little bit differently, but uh, I think. It was picked partly because there are abandoned mines there that lead to that cave system. If you dig a mine looking for coal, first of all, you're going to encounter Tommyknockers, the the friendly spirits of the mines, which uh, uh, somehow made their way to West Virginia and Kentucky and were considered by the miners to be friends of theirs, like the, the canaries in the mine, because the canaries would die and the Tommyknockers would go, bah, 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 and they leave mm-hmm. because the mine was about to collapse or the, they thought that it might be. Um, West Virginia, of course, is famous for the Flatwoods Monster, for the Mothman cases, for the Men in Black cases, for the collapse of the Silver Bridge, and for Gray Barker, who you know spent his life there documenting these things and uh, finding a mirthful side to it, as I do. But I'm then I'm very influenced by Gray. I think he gets a bad press. In any case, all the way across there, and of course we have our reliable source on site in situ and that would be penny royal who mm-hmm. i absolutely adore them yeah. and they're they're right there in the thick of it but uh, it was i suppose transformative for the um newkirks and their crew when they when they were doing the uh two existing seasons of hellier mm-hmm. to go there 
And instead of looking for the goblins, they followed the synchronicities wherever they led. Yeah. And the whole series, Mm -hmm. by many reports to them, I suppose, and to me as well, people are always saying, I saw the series and it was like a magical initiation. I started to have experiences of my own just by seeing it. And I thought, well, this is the perfect answer to the, uh, to the formal authoritarian magical orders who have rituals for filthy lucre and, uh, and that are static the same way uh, certain church dogmas are static and don't, evolved with greater insights, although they may have started out with, you know, charismatic individuals or whatever that, uh, that were really the real deal, I guess you would say. Um, it seems like the series, Hellier, has that effect. And of course, where were they going? To a town that, whose name could be pronounced Hell You Are. Mm-hmm. And uh, it certainly seemed that way to their original and vanished witness, who they seemed to think was apocryphal, I think was probably a real person with a slightly different name, whose house subsequently burned down. That's just my take on it. I mean, they did the field investigation and they're good at it because whatever their original goal, if the synchronicities take them elsewhere, they go elsewhere. And one leads to another, to another, to another, until they found the Holy Grail in the mouth of a an abandoned mine shaft. Mm-hmm. Interesting as well with the, like within all that area as well, Kentucky, Pennsylvania. You've got the Appalachian Mountain Range, and um, years gone by, back in the day, when we know the the land masses were still together or, or just a bit still together, the Appalachian Mountain Range came right over into Scotland. So it crossed over into where the Cairngorms are now in Scotland. Oh, oh, clearly. And it's it's the oldest mountain range in the world. Mm-hmm. Also, interestingly enough, um, certainly not the founder, but one of the major movers and shakers in the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light, which was the great rival of the Theosophical Society after Madame Blavatsky and Colonel Olcott got kicked out of the HBOL in, in Egypt and decided to go go to India and uh, push uh, their particular version of things. Uh, the frontal chief uh, uh, of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light lived uh, on Loch Ness, and his name was Peter Davidson, and uh, at some point... Uh, I believe his associate, uh, Thomas Burgoyne, much to the theosophist's delight, uh, ran afoul of the law for the most obscure thing. Anyway, Davidson uh, migrated to North Georgia, right at the foot of the Appalachian chain, Hmm. right at the foot, which, by the way, has the largest concentration because it's the oldest mountain chain in the world. Uh, therefore, not as tall as, you know, the, the Himalayas, but nevertheless, it has loads and loads of herbs. And, and he, there's a species of local folks that go out in the summer and collect herbs. And uh, 
in, in, uh, in Scotland, he had, uh, Davidson had been a distiller, which was a perfectly respectable thing to do there. However, mm-hmm. in the deep south in America, in a rural setting, uh, usually most counties were dry, i.e. if you brewed alcohol, you were a moonshiner and it, yeah. it caused you First trouble, which it did cause him. But he, he switched to herbal medicines, which required him to distill a certain amount of alcohol because that, you know, herbal mm-hmm. concoctions require it. It did cause him trouble at one time and his family is very resistant to it. They still live in that area, which are all people of uh, Scott's descent. In, in fact, uh, you you can tell that part of Georgia simply by the sudden number of Presbyterian churches that exist there. <laughs> yeah, everywhere else it's a uh, one Baptist church, uh, one Methodist church, and possibly a Catholic church. But you get up there, it's it's you know, uh, and they have Highland Games. Anyway, I ingratiated myself. There were a number of investigators that had gone there looking for, you know, what the remnants of Peter Davidson stuff was. I finally got permission from the family to carry on the HBL work. So I do. I also wrote an interesting book about it, which is out there, but I won't plug it. You can if you've, if you've read it. Yeah, I'll, it put was, them on the, I'll put them on the show notes. We're done as well. Oh, okay. Well, okay. It's... Um, most of the investigators that went there had no sense of local decorum in rural Georgia, but I'm from there. So, you know, I wore a clerical collar and I had the proper courtesy and the proper manners and uh, actually got written up in a favorable way in the Clan Davidson newsletter. So, I got a lot of information, which, you know, most of it is in the books. And uh, nevertheless, uh, there's a long history here because that was the last fully recognized frontal chief. One of his sons ran the local newspaper, so they had their equivalent of the Theosophical Lucifer. They called it the Morning Star. I thought that was slightly amusing. Um, and uh, that was really the beginning of a certain variety of occultism in the United States because it was influenced by P.B. Randolph, who really, for in, in terms of uh, Western society, was, to the extent anyone could be called a founder, was the founder of Western tantrism or sexual magic. So, you know, that's, I mean, it was sort of co-opted by uh, Theodore Royce and uh, later Alistair Crowley and uh, uh, Randolph being a black man uh, has never gotten the full recognition from those people who were, uh, shall we say, somewhat bigoted uh, Mm -hmm. back then, but he's sort of come into his own now and... uh, uh, you know, we carry on that tradition without the fees and the authoritarianism and the dogma that mm-hmm. others, we'll call them others, not the others on the other side of Magonia. But others, yeah, the others involved. <laughs> <laughs> so on, on the Magonia side here, um, and uh, well, before we can get to that, like, what's, can you jump in? 
total left field for what we're talking about. But um, in regards to the current disclosure process that's going on in America, the noon. I mean, what's what's your general thoughts on that? Um, Gosh, you're not going to like that, judging from what you've said on previous programs. So don't <laughs> don't cut me off. I really believe it's a con game, and I base this on my own experience going back to the last days of Project Blue Book, yeah. U.S. Air Force. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from that because it's we've been here, we've been here numerous times, numerous times. I understand. I understand. Well, let me, let me go back even before that to 1952, July 1952, which, by the way, though I would have a wee barn, you know, just mm-hmm. uh, in Miami of all places because my parents favored uh, vacationing there. And uh, my father said, you know, flying saucers have been, even UFO didn't exist as a term then, yeah. over the White House and the Pentagon and until those uh, dreadful Saudis uh, blew up the World Trade Center and crashed into the Pentagon. That was restricted airspace even then. But of course, you have to, uh, you don't have to agree with it. I certainly don't. But to get into the mentality of the 1950s, uh, we had all been allied with the Soviet Union in World War II, and then everywhere they went, they stayed and basically uh, stole atomic secrets, blah, blah, blah. It was, it was bad juju, and that brought on the great red scare of the 1950s. So the fact that flying saucers were seen over restricted airspace, origin unknown, nature unknown, in July 1952, and seen not only by people on the ground, by pilots who had been scrambled to intercept what I guess they first thought were, you know, Soviet bombers come yeah. to wipe, wipe us out or whatever they were supposed to be doing. Uh, this was before ICBMs even existed, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but because they were also seen on radar, there was a civilian voluntary group of people that you can't see ICBMs for any, from any distance with the naked eye. Yeah. But with a pair of binoculars and an alert group of people who were able to identify aircraft, we had this vast, vast system mm-hmm. of what were called, was called the Ground Observer Corps. It, in fact, mutated into a uh, a lot of ufologists because Leonard Stringfield wrote a book uh, and he was a prominent ufologist in his generation called Inside Saucer Post 30 Blue because he had been in the Ground Observer Corps and his uh, the non-secret part of the of the designation was uh, 30 Blue. Couldn't give the whole thing. Anyway, it was very secretive in those days. But apparently inside the, the military, there was talk about, oh, what are we going to do if there had been, and this is again, 50s mentality, yeah. 1950s mentality, if there had been an attack on the United States at that time, we wouldn't have known about it until too late because the ground observers were looking for 
flying saucers. The scrambled jets were looking for flying saucers. And the radar was trying to paint or track flying saucers. And had there been a fleet of Soviet bombers coming in with uh, nuclear warheads, I think by then they had hydrogen bombs, uh, we would have been a lost cause. I don't think that was the intention of the Soviet Union because there would have been catastrophic retaliation, same as now. I don't. It's yeah. not that I don't take it seriously because it could destroy the planet or at yeah. least the northern hemisphere, but um, um, they took it seriously. So the CIA convened a panel, and this is all public information now. Yeah. I mean, you can find it on the internet. In 1953, the next year, and the CIA panel, uh, which, by the way, included Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who I knew slightly, um, and a, a number of scientific luminaries, but who were basically part of the same group of people that had been part of the Manhattan Project, and uh, not including my uncle who laid the cable for that first atomic bomb, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, for better or worse. Or, uh, and they reached a number of conclusions. One of them was, and this is again, I, I hate to keep repeating it, but it's important because it's not the mentality now. Yeah. That the Communist Party USA, which even then, I mean, it peaked during the Great Depression, but by the 1950s, they were barely able with uh, covert Soviet support to get out a daily newspaper, which mostly in its declining days uh, had, you know, a, a cover story. Then it went to weekly, then to monthly. And uh, the obituaries uh, just yeah. uh, were fruitful and multiplied and diminished the party so that uh, uh, by the time it, I call it the little old ladies of the Communist Party, because that's, you know, that's pretty much what it was even then. The notion that they were going to infiltrate uh, the International Flying Saucer Bureau or APRO, which were the only groups that are around in those days, and mm -hmm. influence them to create a false flap so that the Ground Observer Corps the radar technicians, the pilots, and everybody else would be so interested in flying saucers that they indeed would not notice a sneak Soviet attack. This was CIA think, not Soviet think, and not general public think. Mm -hmm. So one of the conclusions that they recommended was private UFO organizations, of which there were not many in 1953, mm -hmm. uh, need to be infiltrated by, well, technically the CIA can't operate inside the United States, mm -hmm. but the FBI can, and the FBI was then run by the interesting figure of J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> and uh, they certainly could. And it was at that point that... Uh, a number, although I think most men in black cases are in fact 
legitimate manifestations of what the Eastern term is tulpas, uh, beings, temporary beings from elsewhere that are sent here by the Black Lodge or whatever to, to scare witnesses into silence. But a few of them were probably CIA agents or people that the Air Force put up to sending people in uniform to mm -hmm. uh, do a little questionnaire. And by, but that got more sophisticated. And in 1956, the first big civilian flying saucer group. Bear with me on this. This is very important to the present disclosure. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand that. In 1956, a man named Townsend Brown, who I know almost nothing about, but a civilian, mm -hmm. founded a group called the <clears throat> National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, NICAP, which I eventually became a member of in my ignorant UFOs or extraterrestrial days. And Townsend Brown dropped out of the picture very quickly as if he was just there to set it up and to create no suspicion. You know, it was just like Al Bender's IFSB, Coral and Jim Lorenzen's APRO. It's just another group investigating flying saucers. Well, he was replaced by uh, a muckraking uh, journalist whose name will be familiar to you and who I have nothing against, Donald E. Kehoe, U.S. Marine Corps, retired. Yeah. That's a middle echelon person, but he had gone to the Naval Academy and the board of directors of NICAP, as it was called, thereafter was headed by Admiral Roscoe Hillencotter and other good old boys from his particular class at the Naval Academy, which I guess was in the 1930s. Yeah. Um, and Roscoe Helen Cotter had an interesting history. He was the first director of the CIA. Mm -hmm. So here was this supposedly civilian organization that <clears throat> had really basically CIA spooks and people with uh, military intelligence uh, uh, backgrounds and a few notorious anti-Semites also um, on their board of on their board of directors, in fact, controlling the organization. And NICAP promulgated a doctrine which may sound familiar today. It goes like this. All of the contactee cases, there weren't any, you know, close encounter cases that came much later yeah. from one of the people who was on the uh, CIA panel. That was from Dr. Heinig. Uh, at an earlier phase of his life. Of course, he changed size, sides much later and got dismissed by the Air Force unceremoniously. Shortly after I had a conversation with him where he seemed to feel like he was in a secure position. Um, but you can't change sides and expect the military establishment yeah. to, to humor <laughs> you. So. What was NICAP's doctrine and how did it differ from, say, APRO, who was their chief rival up until MUFON came along, which was APRO's chief rival? Um, their doctrine amounted to this. Lights seen in the sky 
are real and they come from other planets and we need to monitor them and prove them. However, all cases of landings and of communication with aliens, in other words, the close encounter cases, yeah. are ludicrous. Things like the Shaver mystery is ludicrous. I actually had this from their secretary who once kicked me out of their offices. And they operated as, as if they were, which they were, although they pretended not to be, a quasi-government institution. Their headquarters was on Connecticut Avenue in Washington, D.C., which there's a, uh, a humorous thing that seems to have been where Klaatu uh, was headed when he tried to run away from the cops and got shot <laughs> in the day the earth stood still. He was running down Connecticut Avenue in, in Washington. But um, so it became essentially they're there, they're from another planet, but they can't land. No. Because if, if they, you if you claim that, <laughs> that sounds like a front for the CIA following the directive that is public information now to disrupt yeah. and to give disinformation to private UFO groups in order to save us from the evil Soviet empire. I think the Soviet empire was evil and its successors are evil, but I don't think that we had a likelihood of an invasion caused by flying saucers. It was just 50s paranoia, which was you know, the, the infiltration of the Communist Party. I mean, I've been involved in uh, uh, nuclear disarmament groups and things, and the three little ladies from the Communist Party are always there, and everybody knows who they are because they, they always space themselves out in the room full of, you know, very sincere hippie types. And they always say, let's have a march on a working class neighborhood, which uh, in the context of Tucson, Arizona, in the 1970s, 1980s, which is when I was involved in a group in Tucson uh, during my graduate school days um, was utterly ludicrous. I mean, it was just ridiculous that nobody paid any attention, but everybody noted, oh, that's the three little old ladies from the Communist Party. Go away. Let us get on with our business of getting nuclear power plants closed before they're blown up and go <laughs> ballistic. So I, I, you know, I know this from personal uh, experience, they are as close to harmless, particularly since the flow of funds from the Soviet Union seems to have lapsed, like the famous cosmonaut who went up from the Soviet Union, and when he came down, his country had ceased to exist. <laughs> I don't know where he landed, probably in Turkmenistan or one of those stands, you know. Kazakhstan, actually. Um, so do you get where I'm going with this at yeah, yeah. all? Yeah. What happened was the Air Force continued to have what at a distance seemed like a fairly sophisticated project, although even then I thought 
they don't really seem to be gathering any information. They're just encouraging people to submit to local Air Force bases or whatever their sightings, particularly if they're military personnel. And it goes to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base to Project Blue Book, which probably had a door that said Project Blue Book and consisted of one middle-level officer, an enlisted Air Force person, and a secretary. That's Project Blue Book. Mm -hmm. And in the, I guess they felt like in the late 1960s that that was just no longer necessary. Public interest was, they thought, in decline. And uh, pretty much the whole notion of uh, Soviet bombers had become, uh, Ground Observer Corps had been dissolved because the threat, such as it was, was uh, Soviet missiles in Cuba, which could reach any point in the United States in about three minutes and 32 seconds. So it was just, it it was not a point that either American officials or Soviet officials were apt to think about, even supposing that the Soviet Union was looking to do a first strike. I don't think either side was. By then, everybody had figured out that everybody in power had figured out, hopefully, that uh, mutually assured destruction (laughs) meant that we probably were not going to have a nuclear war because the consequences would be too great for the initiator thereof. Um, Particularly after the uh, submarine-based missiles, even if you wiped out every missile silo on land, Mm -hmm. there was still far, far more available to destroy any country in the world and conceivably even uninvolved countries. Uh, When you think it, I mean, it totally is when you put it in the context. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, and I'm sure they reached that conclusion both in the Pentagon and in the Kremlin. I mean, and that probably is still the case. They, Even though there are uh, because of various disarmament talks, there are less uh, 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 ICBMs than there once were. Mm-hmm. Um, nevertheless, it's enough to destroy the United States, the UK, and Russia, and seven or eight other NATO countries, and who knows what other, you know, certainly the the, the, the idiot that's running Belarus now has made the calculation that <laughs> he would be, you know, just a side target, but his whole country would be a slag heap for the rest of the, for the next thousand years. Nobody wants that. Uh, Definitely no. Not even the Persians, excuse me, the Iranians. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, they probably make that calculation too. Um, probably. Um, so Project Blue Book with much fanfare announced they were closing their doors. Am I going on at too great a length? Because I no, really, not at all. Not at all. It's fine. I, I don't want to piss off the pro disclosure people. I just want to spare them what the ufologists of that period went through. Yeah. They fobbed the whole thing off 
on the University of Colorado in the hands of uh, Edward U. Condon, yeah. a scientist who uh, himself was somewhat skatey, and as was later disclosed, possibly under the Freedom of Information Act, I don't remember really, but he had from the very beginning said in getting the contract from the government to do this project, we should appear to be objective, but in the end, we should find that there's nothing to this. <laughs> Translation, it was a put-up job from the beginning. But people, particularly NICAP, which disclosure had been there, you know, there were two doctrines. One was they can't land. The other is what really we should concentrate on is getting the top secret information about flying saucers that the officer, the enlisted man, the secretary knew in their infinite wisdom, which is BS. Um, need we need to force the government to do that there was even eventually a set of hearings presided over by an obscure congressman from michigan by the name of gerald ford who sort of stumbled into the presidency after uh nixon ran into some problems i <laughs> my memory fades but it seems that he was involved in some sort of burglary or whatever i don't know <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps he told a lie. <laughs> or, just the one. Just the one. Just, just the one. He was, he was a uh, upstanding, uh, yes, a, a, a true, a true guy, <laughs> a true human, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sort of. Um, so the rumor got out in ufology, in the broader ufology community, that. Uh, mm -hmm the Project Blue Book files were going to be destroyed. That turned out not to be true, but I didn't know that. So I, uh, the U.S. Senate was in recess. Stop me if I bore you. No, not at all. I'm just, I, I didn't use those with glasses. So I take them off. I'm reading my <laughs> here. Questions wise, and I'm watching the screen, so I didn't. I use them for reading, but my ah, I understand. It's like that now and again. So I'm looking over them and pull them off the back on. I'm suspicious of people that wear glasses. Time, so <laughs> because when I take off my glasses, I turn into Superman, faster than a speeding bullet. But I don't, um, I don't use them all the time. So when I do use them, I, I just alien to me. So I'm often yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, well. What I did was I knew the Senate was in recess and I happened to know where uh, my senator uh, lived because it was in a town not very far from Atlanta. And uh, uh, every time my folks liked to take me when they, my father was the vice president of a shoe company, and he, he was the person in charge of personnel. So we went from store to store. He didn't like to travel without his family. Mm -hmm. So every time we went through this particular town, not very far from where the Georgia Guidestones lived and died, uh, they would say, oh, Senator Russell lives here. Who? And he was the head of the Senate Armed Services Committee. 
uh, possibly the most powerful man in the United States Senate at the time. So I wrote him a note uh, at home to his home address mm-hmm. because they get thousands of letters, you know, yeah. and the, yeah. most of it is read by the third assist- assistant secretary to the third assistant secretary. Yeah. But I figured if I get him at home, that will get his attention. And sure enough, he wrote, uh, I said, look, I don't know what you think about flying saucers, but just maintaining the files that I understand may be destroyed, it would seem to be prudent to preserve these files for future generations to be able to uh, look at and reevaluate for better, worse, or indifferent. In other words, I struck a very reasonable tone and did not approve, uh, did not, uh, you know, attempt to convince him that flying saucers were real and yeah. came from Mars or whatever. Um, and he wrote me back and he said, well, they're not being destroyed. They're being housed at the Redstone Arsenal in Alabama, which is the adjacent state. Mm-hmm. As I found out when I did UFO Hunters, they sent me over there during space camp that was a friggin nightmare let me tell you but um um apparently got me the security clearance that i needed which was not that high but it was just to be able to look at these files so i went over there and i saw the blue book files they didn't know diddly squat nothing i mean they had interesting cases they had a lot of misidentified uh, cases. And then there were a bunch of things that even in the files, they were marked through uh, what would later show up in a lot of documents uh, that have come out under the Freedom of Information Act. But they were about weapon systems. And I'll get to that in a minute. And from my point of view, they have a perfect right to keep that, you know, weapon systems under development. I don't want uh, others to know about it. Probably in those days, it was the B-1 bomber and other stealth technology that they were testing, interestingly enough, at Area 51. That's where the testing ground was. Mm -hmm. If it still is, I am sympathetic to keeping that private. But there was absolutely no indication that they had some secret knowledge which would point to extraterrestrial, let alone interdimensional beings. Mm -hmm. The only interesting thing that happened to me there was down the row while I was looking through all this stuff, and it was a lot of it, but, you know, it was mostly boring lights in the sky stuff that uh, didn't might have been interesting depending on the witnesses and the circumstances, but also could never prove one way or another anything. So there was nothing to disclose at that point. And then, of course, the Condon Committee came out with the predictable results. Not before Dr. Condon showed up at our convention, I believe while the amazing Randy was speaking on the Nazca lines. Um... I mean, that was the largest convention ever anywhere in the world um, on flying saucers. That was the one that we held at the Commodore Hotel in Midtown Manhattan, New York, during uh, 
when the, the run of the, the Invaders uh, television series was on and the star of that show was there. So it was just uh, thousands of people in the audience. And whoever was on stage at that time, uh, it was either John Keel or James Randi, introduced him from the audience and he stood up and waved, but it was like he didn't you know, particularly want to be seen. And I thought, <laughs> well, he's either here because he's really interested or much more likely he's here to look at the loonies being daft, you know, and uh, that's just part of what he's doing. He's interviewing the people that NICAP wouldn't touch, not because he thought their stories were real. I mean, I think he even interviewed uh, Carlos Allende, the notorious uh, witness or whatever you would, exactly call him. Mm -hmm. And of course, when the predictable results came out, predictable to me and to, uh, let's say, what we called middle ufology, I, had, I wrote a book on that too, in the heyday of it. I don't think any anybody in my circle of friends, the uh, Rick Hilberg and uh, Alan Manick in Cleveland, Ohio, which was our center of power, and uh, the people mostly associated with Jim Mosley in New York and New Jersey, who had a monthly meeting in New York that, uh, um, and, you know, Gray Barker, who was our field person in mm -hmm. West Virginia, at a really good time to be a field researcher in West Virginia, yeah. sort of like Penny yeah. Royal in Kentucky today. Um, although, these cases in West Virginia continue. And fortunately, Gray has long gone to that great flying saucer in the sky, but but still the cases go on, you know, which puts to rest the notion that it was all a Gray Barker hoax, because <laughs> if he's hoaxing now, he's doing it from beyond the grave, which is a whole story in and of itself. So when this came out, it was the equivalent of the 19th century uh, prediction of the second coming, which was called the great disappointment because <laughs> Jesus failed to show up on the first day, the second predicted day. And by the third one, the whole movement had collapsed and they call it the great disappointment in those circles, which gave rise to the seventh day Adventist church, which is, perpetuates it, but also was the parent to the uh, Branch Davidians who ran into some sort of problem in Waco, Texas and seemed to have gotten burned down as they were selling guns and doing other uh, not so, you know, uh, palatable mm -hmm. things. Um, that's all sidelight. Suffice to say there was the push by NICAP and its supporters, and it was at that time the largest UFO group, and the great disappointment. And that extended to all of the nuts and bolts, uh, people who were certain that the government knew that these were extraterrestrial spacecraft, if you could only get them to reveal it. And the disclosure was, they don't exist. So when the renewed government interest in flying saucers came up in recent years. And a, a lot of people uh, became 
enamored of that and thought this is finally the breakthrough, particularly in the last couple of weeks where uh, while a few people that I admire are involved in, you know, these pressure to disclose whatever it is that they supposedly are going to disclose. The only yeah. thing they have to disclose insofar as I am aware, and if I'm at all right, would be the very thing I don't want them to disclose, which is what is the next weapon system that they're working on for gazillions of dollars. Yeah. You know, so, um, what, what they, my clues came from this past experience that I've just detailed at perhaps greater length than I needed to, but I wanted to establish credibility for what I'm saying. Yeah. Or. Do you, do you think your history is repeating itself then in regards to that overall? Exactly. And if uh, it's not done very often, and there are a lot of people who are uh, who think the disclosure thing is a buildup for a letdown, mm. another great disappointment, which hopefully will get uh, people disinterested in the subject, and it will. If it turns out to be a, a flash in the pan and it builds people up and they keep expecting uh, an, an imminent disclosure of uh, visitors from Alpha Centauri 4 or whatever, you know, those people's particular, it isn't going to be, it will be, the clue is the terminology, the new terminology that some people have bought into, which is yes. UAP. Mm -hmm. Notice the difference, unidentified flying what? Objects. Mm -hmm. The implication being these are things, yeah. but UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena. Well, a phenomena can be a cloud. Yeah. A phenomena can be pretty much anything. It can even Asma. be Some yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, a speck on one's glasses, a speck on the specks, as it were. <laughs> and uh, uh, I think that that's where this is headed. And I'm not trying to disillusion people to the contrary. I'm <laughs> trying to alert those who think that that is going to yeah. happen yeah, to say, uh, only uh, the first gen ufologists have all gone on to that great flying saucer in the sky. Mm -hmm. So they're not here to do this anymore. All that's left are, are the people from the teen ufology movement of which I was one. And, uh, I, a lot of us are, thank God, still around. Uh, we were there present at the creation as it were. And uh, we know what it's like to go through a disclosure. It didn't particularly affect me because the minute I saw Condon stand up at our convention of the most daft people in the world and some really nice folks and Howard Minger, I mean, anybody who was anybody still alive from the first ufology, they were all at this convention. This was the one to do. Even the love candidate for president was present at the convention. It was just, it was a peak at the summer of love, mm -hmm. 1967. What's your thoughts? What's your thoughts on, so the disclosure process, like let's say that now, for example, this is a history repeating itself, about, just about tech, military tech or whatever, and then they're using this for some reason, right? When when you, and I understand all that, and I'm not saying I'm, 
with that, without that, I'm as sceptical with the whole process as well because I know the part of the history involved uh, going through like Grudge, Sign, Condon, Blue Book, all that right through. Um, and then you're, you're hitting now. I mean, some of you want to believe, some of you are still on the fence, but when you hear some things, like what's your thoughts on when you've got other people in the mix um, coming out, for example, ex like CIA people, like you've got like John Ramirez, Jim Simivan, and you've got like maybe other people who are not to do with um, intelligence or military, and they're talking about consciousness, and they're talking about um, NHI, and they're talking about um, what other kind of things, some type of event that's, that's, that's potentially maybe going to happen in the future. 2027, you hear this state getting batted about by um, some people as well, and it's not just we, for these people, it's like maybe coming from an experiencer as well, so I don't know, have you heard any, much of that kind of side of it, or have you followed that much of the side of it, and have you any views on that much of the side of it? Maybe. I mean, it, it's not like I think that anybody who's pro-disclosure and people with credentials that give them additional credibility. I don't know if this directly answers you. Are all, you know, agents of, I don't know what they're trying to do now. I have my suspicion and I'll give it to you in one sentence. They're trying to keep people from rushing Area 51 because they're trying to build next generation uh, uh, stealth technology or uh, technology that will handle hypersonic missiles or technology that uh, learns from the unpleasantness, sounds Irish, doesn't it? The unpleasantness, the troubles in Ukraine. Yes. So uh, um, that probably is what they want to deflect from now, not the the little, the seven little old ladies left in the Communist Party infiltrating MUFON, which would be <laughs> actually hilarious, in my opinion, knowing the people in MUFON, particularly the founders who are very conservative people. Uh, I would go, and in those days, I had hair down to here, down to there, <laughs> bell bottoms and all that. And they would say, Alan, you came last year in a suit. What's wrong with you? Uh, I'm just going with the times, man. Hey, nice threads you've got on there, man. You want to drop acid? I mean, I, I didn't. <laughs> that was, uh, I, I still have a recording of an interview I did with Stan Friedman back then, who was an unemployed nuclear scientist who found himself another gig. You know, his gig was Roswell. Yep. And... Up until that time, nobody in ufology credited Roswell. They were much more interested in Maury Allen, which will be in my new book, which I hope you will plug in your show notes. Um, he said parenthetically, but greedily. No, any at all, get the new show notes, definitely. Hey, there's inflation going on, and I have <laughs> trouble buying groceries, no kidding. So every little bit helps, and that's all that, you know, Pretty much everything, the, the magical stuff that I do, the empowerments that I do, I don't charge anything for anything. But my books are my, you know, my my job, I guess you would call it. So uh, whatever price my publisher sets, that's 
their call and whatever stipend gets sent to me buys me an extra set of carrots, you know, if I, <laughs> or let, lettuce, uh, lettuce more than carrots. Um, yeah, definitely plug them all in the show. What, what I wanted to say is I think that there are people who are former government uh, officials who genuinely think that there is something to disclose, but they're generally middle echelon and not necessarily as central as they seem to think they are to decision-making processes going on. Of course, there are people that the, the government of the United States for better or worse, in my opinion, for worse, is this incredibly huge bureaucracy. And there are people like uh, this guy that was recently arrested and who is entitled to a fair trial had uh, apparently secret or top secret clearance. And he's bragging to his friends on, uh, I don't know, which uh, we just did a, exactly the same gesture. That was, was that a synchronicity or am I giving you a headache? Uh, uh, I often give myself a headache, but uh, I'm just teasing you. Um, he gets arrested for having bragged to his buddies on, uh, I want to say Telegram because that's- MSN become, or something like that. I think it was MSN or- It was, yeah. Can't it was, what it was on. And that's A, stupid, and B, how come this guy who was- an airman, which is, you know, their lowest echelon, had a security clearance sufficient to get this kind of information. Yeah. Well, maybe clearances need to be reevaluated. Yeah. And uh, I'm not saying that any of these people are being dishonest, the, the former military people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if somebody is present military, unless they're, you know, subpoenaed and have to testify under oath, uh, they're probably breaking some very substantial rules that have very substantial. I mean, you don't want to see them sent to Guantanamo Bay and neither do they. That's not, uh, uh, the climate in Cuba is not real. Uh, the way I kind of, sorry to interrupt you there. I mean, the way I kind of see it, or I might be wrong in this, and I mean, but when you look at, for example, some of the recent programs where you've got the OSAP program and the ATIP for that, um, they to me they look like if there was some type of other kind of program running, let's say it was a back engineering program or or something like that or whatever it was, UFO program um, after Blue Book, the ATIP and OSAP seem to be from what I can understand or what I can say outside that. I mean, no no part of the party, whatever it is. I mean, so. And it's like the kickbacks coming fake and in that that neck of the woods because it's no being part of that, whatever it is, whatever it is. But I'm still in the in the kind of hospice of thinking, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, yeah, well, that, know, that's that's a history. good attitude. I know the history of it, you know what I mean? But it's interesting, though, when you've got that side of it, but it is interesting. What, the thing I do find interesting mostly is when you've got um, people coming on and talking about who seem to be in the know some type of information, but don't really what it is. But like Dr. Gary Nolan, for example, when he's talking about 
like consciousness and he comes out with statements like, well, what have you found that you are farmed and, and things like that, which links into some of the stuff like Bob Monroe talked about and his astral travels and things like that. And you go right back into all that. And I find the type of comments quite interesting relating to it because it's it's almost like the they've got some type of knowledge there is something else. And I'm not talking about back engineering or whatever, I'm talking about um a consciousness aspect to it or other type of dimensional or whatever. So I don't know where some of them are pulling that type of stuff in. I, I do I, I find that interesting. But going back to the whole disclosure aspect, which is there's a here on Wednesday. Um, I think it's 10 o'clock your time. It's, it's roughly about 3 p.m. my time, um, which will have Dave Fravor. Um, Are you Dave. trying to get rid of me? <gasps> no, not See, at all. See, I was telling the truth and he's cutting me off. Censorship. Not censorship. at all, not at all. I'm Are going to tell that? everyone. <laughs> so that's on next week. I mean, I'll just believe it when I see it. And that's just what I was saying then, I mean, for that. But yeah, totally well, get what you're saying with that. Yeah. In a vast bureaucracy, there are certainly people who use their allotment of government funds to look into things that don't necessarily reflect overall policy. I doubt that the, uh, uh, I, I think the Philadelphia experiment actually happened and I think it was an authorized project, but I don't think that it, really reflected a general government policy. I think it may have been the Navy, uh, certain forces within the U.S. Navy trying to develop a, a weapon which could be a cloaking device. In other words, pre-stealth technology. Mm -hmm. um, the secrecy that surrounded the Manhattan Project uh, the science involved there was such that a couple of science fiction writers as early as the 1930s and then into wartime uh, were speculating on the military use of nuclear power. And yeah. they got visited by Hoover's FBI uh, because there, in fact, were experiments going on. So. I don't say that there are not projects within the government, but most of them turn out to be uh, probes into areas that are unsuccessful. I, I can spin a bunch of them. Uh, the, the Spruce Goose was an airplane that uh, was worked on for a long time, made out of spruce, and it flew for about uh, 30 seconds, about uh, 10 feet above the water and then that was that was the end of it very expensive project uh pretty public in fact you can find films of its flight its solo flight not yeah, as in one pilot but it was the I'll only meet. time the only time i left up. yeah <laughs> and uh certainly the you know the early experiments i mean if it's a a whole subject in and of itself, but the overlap between the occult community and early rocketry uh, and the development of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory by Jack Parsons, who mm -hmm. at pretty much the same time was also the master of the uh, one and only uh, American 
OTO Lodge of that time. Mm-hmm. He was a pretty goofy guy, and it did. It did. Uh, <laughs> he had an explosive end to his yeah, career. Yeah, at the end. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and some people think that he uh, didn't explode himself. He got exploded, and uh, you know, they, wheels within wheels. But the the best example I know of of something that I would take seriously was the government attempt to do some sort of astral travel as an espionage technique Mm -hmm. out of Stanford Research Institute. It's well known, and I don't think I have to recite the story, but allegedly they stopped doing it. And it certainly wasn't the entirety of the, the government. It wasn't a major policy. It was probably a small group yeah. within the military industrial uh, establishment to try and find out, is this something that we can use to get intelligence on mm-hmm. uh, where the missiles in the then Soviet Union were located or where the Afghan uh, uh, enemy was uh, hiding out or, you know, it, whatever the particulars yeah. are, that's legitimate, but it's not necessarily something that, whereas to people like ourselves who are interested in this stuff seems like, you know, a supremely central acknowledgement that paranormal yeah. uh, powers exist to the average person and to the average person in the government bureaucracy, including elected officials, mm-hmm. that's a very peripheral thing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that may happen. But does that mean that they have accumulated evidence that, well, from my perspective, that portals to other dimensions exist mm-hmm. and there are actually beings that have been called fairies, fae, and 400 other terms all over the world and flying saucers appear and disappear into these portals. Or I don't think what, what I often say, but I, I hesitate because it sounds like I'm trying to be arrogant and I certainly uh, don't have all the answers and neither does anyone that I know. But the the notion that there is a big secret to be disclosed if only we could pressure the right people yeah that is what i rebel at because that's what your average nuts and bolts person thinks and their expectation isn't something about other dimensions their expectation is they're coming through wormholes from beetlejuice mm-hmm. Don't say it three times. It looks like the star is about to go Nova. Uh, so if you say it three times, uh, our sun, which is acting up right now in an unpredicted way, uh, not to worry anybody, because I think we're going to be just fine for the next 20,000 years, you know, until the even younger dry ass hits us. Yeah. The interesting thing you're seeing there with the remote, remote viewing projects, although there was a number of different names under them, um, it ran for like at least 20 years. And um, you're saying, obviously, there's other stuff probably came, ran for that after. And your average Joe probably didn't even know it ran. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the the average Joe in the street will probably even know that existed or or if it did exist or, or whatever. I mean, that's the thing. So because we delve in and follow this kind of stuff, 
Um, and obviously, as an acknowledgement to a certain extent. Um, but yeah. You know, you can see smidgens of people within the defense establishment uh, over here on our side of the pond and on your side as well that are very interested in this stuff. Uh, uh, famously in Britain, the Air Chief Marshal uh, Lord Downing uh, was a pro-ET person yes. and very public about it. And of course, he was one of the heroes of the Battle of Britain, which keeps us all from speaking German today and marching around. Well, I wouldn't be here. I would have long since been sent to the showers, but that's, uh, you get my point. Yeah. I mean, he was a well-known person, General MacArthur, a hero of the Pacific War and later Governor General of Japan and later dismissed by President Truman for being insubordinate, but that's, you know, he was, uh, his famous quote was, the next war will be an interplanetary war. You will find prominent people mm -hmm. who uh, buy into the, as I call it, ye olde extraterrestrial hypothesis. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they are reflecting the general policies involved, which are in terms of foreign policy, I think they're focused on Iranian nuclear weapons and on the potential effects of the war in Ukraine. Every NATO country certainly is concerned about that. Yeah. And probably they're watching it very closely in China because their, uh, their take on Taiwan being a part of their country probably is undergoing some a controversy within the ruling party in China at this point as to whether it would be worth it since that's a much tougher target than the Ukraine. You know, it's yes. not right next door. It's a, across a heavily armed strait. And they, uh, uh, the interest of national governments outside of just self-preservation uh, are mostly uh, things that have direct military implications. And you will note that throughout the history of official statements about UFOs, that they're always saying this does not constitute a threat to our security. That goes all the way back to 1947 at the very least. Mm -hmm. There was some concern in Sweden about the ghost rockets in 1946 and the same thing, you know, that is attributed to war nerves. I personally think they were Soviet captured V2s being experimented with in the North Sea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can uh, go through it. The thing is, none of these things are generated by any modern government because all of these phenomena, whether you're talking about uh, fairy lore or flying objects that are unidentified, you know, mm -hmm. just use a generic type term, or God knows, ghosts and beasties and all of that sort of thing, they go back to the remotest antiquity you can go to, literally to prehistory. Yeah. Uh, there are uh, 
indigenous Australian paintings that are thousands of years old that show the same type of being. Does that mean that I subscribe to the ancient astronaut theory? No, I subscribe to the, this is something that has always been here. Yeah. And the various ways that it's seen has some cultural, you know, uh, uh, reflex involved in it, but still, mm -hmm. There is no government that goes back to when uh, the uh, native Australians first arrived in Australia and began carving these paintings on mountains. And, uh, and that's not the only culture where those things yes. show up. They show up in China and Japan and practically everywhere where mm -hmm. people had figured out how to paint or draw or, you know, or tell stories which yes. get handed down. So I guess that's my point. Have I disillusioned or have not I? Not at all. Not at all. As I say, the anyway, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. So um, not at all. Still fully, though. Still um, interested uh, to see how the outcome goes and, and, and what happens for it. So. We didn't even get to the occult or the. We didn't even get. We need to do another, we need to do another session. If you'd be up for that at one point, that'd be good. Of course. Yeah, I've just uh, noticed I've took two hours, ten minutes of your time so far. And, and the trumpet on the street corner always says, I'm available. Brilliant. Right, listen, Alan, I'll, uh, I'll get that set up and send you a couple of dates if that's okay and we can uh, schedule another bit of time in. That'd be brilliant. And uh, if um, I'll, I'll link your um, books to show notes, if anybody needs to find you in regards to some of your content, do you want to tell us where people can find your content as well? Um, the easiest way since I've been on the internet, since it was the ARPANET, you know, it was an internal military thing, uh, is just to Google my name, but spell it correctly. And don't go to the Wikipedia piece on me because it isn't a reflection of who I am. And I don't, you know, the one person that cannot contribute to an article about themselves is the person that's Wikipedia <laughs> policy. And I personally think the Wikipedia <laughs> is a, a crock of, uh, you know, it's just, I, can feed in yeah, 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 I, I mean, anything, if you, if you want to know about a movie, uh, celebrity, they're, entry is probably reliable, but I'm not a movie celebrity. If you want to uh, uh, find out about anybody who's involved in any aspect of the arcane and occult and mysterious, they will be borderline slandered, libeled, whichever it is. I guess yes. it's libeled um, because that's the... Uh, unwritten policy and if you look at the uh, comments and of course the person themselves can't say anything i mean for a while it was saying uh on that site something about jake Strait and kent didn't like me or something actually we were we got along just fine mm -hmm. so um um i mean he felt that american occultists had undercredited him for the discovery of the cipher of uh, found in Liberal Legas. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's true. 
But the way I got it was not, you know, from directly from them, but from an enthusiast for their for their work over here, a great genius and martyr to the cause, uh, who uh, said, "You need to read this stuff and try it out." And I did, and I did. So, uh, and that, that's just it, it gives. I suspect that my former colleagues in the order of, quote, antiquity, if you define <laughs> 1903 as antiquity, probably have a hand in, in, in that. And uh, I, but other than that, if you simply, my name is spelled A-L-L-E-N. It's one of my parents' little jokes on me because they're mostly A-L-A-Ns, but mm-hmm. A-L-L-E-N. G-R-E-E-N-F-I-E-L-D on Google or any other search engine, probably, uh, you will find hundreds of entries that deal with things that I've said. And anyone who, you know, writes me, I can send them material. Uh, My Email address has been the same since the last century. I like to put it that way. It gives it a type of antiquity, but you know, it's, it's just never changed. And, um, I'd be glad to send them a list of, you know, uh, talks, podcasts, telecasts, and whatever other kind of casts I've done, (laughs) uh, free for nothing. I, I'm glad to do that. And, uh, Otherwise, look at the show notes here or, you know, or I've noticed that a lot of the stuff that I do has been cataloged by a number of different people, which is fine with me. So you probably, if you uh, really want to listen to a bunch of my podcasts, I know I don't, but if you do, uh, all you really need to do is put my name into the search engine and be a bit selective okay there's one book out there that i didn't even write that has my name on it it was a bootleg in canada a canadian bootleg that uh <laughs> my publisher who my current publisher who thinks i am uh, the cat's meow uh has put in print along with every other title i ever wrote except one that i said no, I, that was a sin of youth. Please, no, no. <laughs> so that one is not in Everything else is in print, including, you know, this book about Wicca, which I didn't write as a book about Wicca. <laughs> D- didn't happen. But, oh. and I've never seen it, by the way. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry. Actually, most Wiccans think it's okay, despite the fact that it's it traces things back to Gerald Gardner. And I had Doreen Valente uh, helping me a bit with the uh, you know the finer details. And I also uh, there's a, there's a long story involved there. But I did write a couple articles about it. But I can't imagine they were long enough to put in a book form. And since I've never seen it. I don't know. Is it a book of 40 pages? That's not much of a book. Or even for me, I try to write shorter books that say everything that I have to say on a subject because uh, in a way that's taking 
my cue from the Prater Human Intelligence alleged IWAS, which is in the future, and we're talking about from 1904, in the future, people will have limited reading abilities, so we better keep this short. <laughs> three three chapters max. So you're talking you're, you're talking to somebody who listens to a lot of books, so that's probably true. <laughs> Defo, yes, 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 yes. Well, Alan, listen, you've been brilliant, and uh, I do appreciate you coming on, and I'll, I'll I'll link all that in the show notes, and we'll set up another date if that's okay at some point, and we'll we'll go for there and we we'll talk about the cult and stuff. Maybe. I'd be I would love to do that. So don't hesitate to invite me, and I won't hesitate to say yes. Oh, yeah. Just let's work out the date, and preferably, please. I know midnight is late for you, but seven p.m. over here is. <laughs> I'm just beginning to look at the universe with the cobwebs. Yeah, can, can definitely, definitely do that for twelve. Yeah, we'll do. That. I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Been so vast and brilliant. Right, so thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs>